Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, I just I, I just had a bit of a moment. I thought, oh my word, I turned to Tom just now, uh, your worship leader, and I said, oh, I don't know the name of the, the, the sermon series that you're in. What's the name of the sermon series? And he went, what's the church for? I thought to myself, man, I don't have time now to deal with your bigger questions. <laughs> just tell me what the sermon series is. So I thought you're having a crisis of faith for a minute. But it is great to be here to just spend time. I remember coming here probably about three years ago when you were pre-launched just before COVID and not really knowing, God, is this going to work or not? Not because of the amazing Ben and Laura, but if you read the book of Acts, Paul just plants churches and sometimes they thrive and sometimes they don't. And you just, we just go for it and see what the Lord does and to see what he's done here. And the stories of God impacting lives is amazing. Ben and Laura are, I'm big fans of theirs, as you are, I know, too. Incredible leaders. Ben's reputation, I go, I speak with other pastors around the country at times, and Ben has this amazing reputation of being an incredible leader, incredible pastor, and equally an incredible but sketchy used car salesman. So <laughs> not too sure, not too sure which one kind of beats out the other. Uh, but this morning, we are looking at what is the church for? And this morning, I want to talk about the significance of God's community. The significance of God's community. I don't know about you, but during COVID, when we were separate from each other, that we were reminded once again of the significance of God's community. Zoom just didn't cut it. The embodiment of being together Reminded us it's not just a desire, it's not just a need, it's, it's how we were created. And this morning we're going to look in the book of Ruth, the little wonderful short book in the Old Testament, at the significance of God's community. Just to recap the bit of context of the book of Ruth, it's set in the period of the judges in the Old Testament where Israel was at a very low ebb in its leadership and its obedience to God. And it focuses really the story around a family, a husband and wife, Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. And they hit some challenging times with a famine. A famine strikes Israel. But Elimelech decides to do something about it. And we don't know quite what happened in his life, but he decides to pick up his whole family and move away from Israel, not just to find food, which may be understandable, but to reject Israel and turn his back on God. Disappointment sets into his heart and he rejects God's community. Have you ever been disappointed with church? I know I have. And so they leave and we know that they reject Israel, not just because they leave Israel, but they actually defect to one of Israel's arch enemies, the nation of Moab. You read the stories of the ongoing battle between the Moabites and Israel and realize that Elimelech is turning his back on God, turning his back on God's people, moving with his family to Moab, so much so in to reject God and to assimilate into a foreign nation that he renames his sons with Moabite names. His sons marry Moabite women. But tragedy strikes. The very thing they were escaping catches up to them. And Elimelech and both sons tragically die. We don't know how or why. But Naomi finds herself 
in this foreign land with two daughters-in-law from a different nation, destitute, traumatized, homeless, an, an immigrant in a foreign land. But by the end of the book of Ruth, God seems to have done something in her life. This tragic start ends with triumph. And this very last scene in the book of Ruth is Naomi's back in Israel, holding a brand new baby boy, surrounded by family in her own home and having received the redemption of God. And the story and the question we're going to look at today is, how does God take her from tragedy to victory? How does God restore her life? And what we'll find is, throughout the whole book of Ruth, God only works. He restricts his work through his community. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 6. I think it's on the screen. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, no, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. God restores Naomi's life from destitute and tragic circumstances, economically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, without hope. At the end of this short story, we find that she's fully restored, fully back in the center of God's heart. But the obvious thing when you read the book of Ruth, and scholars point this out, is a very unusual book because God doesn't seem to do anything overtly. 
There's no mention of God intervening with miracles like the rest of the Old Testament. There's no stories of God appearing without angels or the sun stops during the day or interventions happen or dreams or visions. In fact, the author is intentionally obscuring the direct hand of God. Praise is given to God for restoring Naomi's life. But you look back and go, well, I don't see God at work. The point, of course, is that God is directly at work through the community of God. He brings his redemption, his restoration, his healing, his provision, not directly like manna from heaven, but indirectly through the community around Naomi, through Ruth, and through later we see through Boaz. Ruth does not turn her back on Naomi. But God's covenant, God's friendship, God's restoration, God's healing, God's faithfulness to Naomi comes through Ruth saying, where you go, I go. Where you die, I'm going to die. Don't urge me to go because I'm never going to leave you. See, Ruth knew that Naomi had no chance of survival by herself. She was too old to work in the field. She was too old to get married. All of her children, which is pretty much her 401k and her kind of retirement fund, had gone. And even her land would have been sold by her husband before they left. And Ruth had a tough choice in her hands. Ruth had to decide, am I going to go back with my mother-in-law? Am I going to become an immigrant like she has been an immigrant in my country? Am I going to leave my security? Am I going to leave my community? Am I going to leave my prospects, even my future prospects of remarrying? Without a husband, I'm going to be a Moabite in the land of my enemies, traditionally. I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be hated. Usually when you become an immigrant, like myself, to this fine country, you, you move because you're excited about the prospects for your future. Ruth was moving without any prospects. In fact, to prospects which were less positive than if she stayed home. But see, Ruth knew that if she didn't go, then Naomi wouldn't survive. Ruth emptied herself for the sake of Naomi. Ruth knew that if Naomi was going to get her life back, then Ruth would have to throw hers away. And she clings to Naomi and said, not even death. Until death... We are not separate. God uses Ruth as the means of his loyalty, his commitment, his provision in the life of Naomi. See, what the Old Testament is doing here is picking up on a fundamental creative design of God that can so often be overlooked in the background I grew up in, which was charismatic, where we prayed that God would directly intervene into all of our circumstances. That if it was something of God, then it had to be supernatural. Just reading your Bible was, was kind of inferior to having a vision or a, a, a prophetic word. 
that money miraculously appearing was better than someone else giving you some money. That, that was human, but if God's going to show up, then it has to be supernatural. Even the stories of old and revival, we used to pray, God, rend the heavens that this city would just miraculously repent and turn to you. That if this city's going to come back to you, it needs a direct intervention. That we want to have the stories of old that people be driving along the road in their cars and they would hear the worship music from inside and they'd be convicted in their souls and then they would stop and come in and say, what must I do to be saved? We were praying for everything to be some kind of miraculous intervention from God. And I think though we do believe in the supernatural, though we do see God do incredible things, what the book of Ruth is reminding us is that this is not how God wired the world to be. That from Genesis 1 through Revelation, there's a creative design of how God wants to work in the world. And it rarely is direct, miraculous intervention, but more likely through his people. See, we go back to Genesis 1 and we see this at the very creative design of the world. Do you remember that verse in Genesis chapter 1 where it says, let us make mankind in our image. So God created them in his image. We often argue, don't we, and have these kind of beer conversations about what does it mean to be in the image of God? Is it what characteristic of God does humanity have? In some way that we're trying to, in what way do we, do we resemble God? But theologians have long pointed out that this word is less about identity and more about vocation. It's less about the design of who you are and more about the design of what he made you for. You see, in the ancient Near East, the, the word image was very common because there'd be pagan temples everywhere. And in the image, sorry, in the center of a pagan temple would be an image of the God that temple was there to worship. And it was felt that you would experience the power and presence of the God through the image on display. That the image was the mediator of the presence and will of the divine being. So this word image is picked up in Genesis chapter one, and we don't have much time to go into it now, but Genesis one is literarily designed as a temple. You've got cherubim on the outside protecting the entrances. The way it's written in sevens kind of mirrors and resembles the theological narrative of how a temple is built. And in the middle of this temple, this garden temple, you go, well, where's the image? Where's the statue that represents God? And surprisingly and shockingly, the, the design, the truthful design of how God wired this world is there is no wooden statue resembling the image of God, but there's mankind as the image. That humanity is the mediator of God's presence and his power and his love in the world. That is our vocation. That is our created design. As N.T. Wright, who is a wonderful scholar, he said, he said this, the image of God is like an angled mirror, an angled mirror through which the love and presence and purposes of God can be reflected into the world. You are an angled mirror placed in Pasadena, placed in this community to actually reflect 
the love, the purpose, the power, the presence of God to your city. God designed humanity to be his hands and his feet, to be the means of his kingdom in the world. Which is why throughout the whole of scripture, when God wants something to be done, what does he do? Chooses some people. Abraham, Moses, David. Fast forward to John the Baptist, the disciples. Yes, we can have a personal relationship with him and God does miracles, particularly when we're sick, he can come in and heal. But when it comes to what he's doing in the world around us, when fighting injustice, bringing mercy, reconciling communities, bringing people into the family of God, it's less manna from heaven and manna through his people. This is the significance of community. Even the supernatural parts of the Bible are rarely done outside of his people. I love the story, don't you, of Moses leading the people of God out of Egypt. And they come to this Red Sea moment and Moses is desperate as I would be going, how on earth are we going to get through this? The Egyptians are behind and he's panicking, go, God, you've got to do something. You've got to get us through here. And God doesn't intervene despite Moses. He says, I'm going to use you. And actually he says to Moses, when you raise your hand and the staff over the sea, you will divide the water. He didn't say even I will. He says you will. He's stepping right back into the creative design of humanity as the angled mirror of God's power in the world. He says, I will fill you with power to do the impossible. It's the significance of God's community. That we just do what we can and God fills it to do what only God can do. I love Jesus Acting out another Moses moment in the wilderness where he takes all these crowds up to the mountainside and he's teaching them and he's, he's modeling he's the new Moses and they're all hungry and there's no Chick-fil-A nearby and they're all starving. And he, they say, Jesus, we've got to feed the people, half expecting him to go manna from heaven. And he doesn't. He steps into the creative design of things to use the people of God for the things of God. And so he goes, look, rustle up what food you have and I'll do the rest. He gets these little five loaves and two fish, which in the economy of God is probably the maximum we'll ever have to offer to God. But he says, I'm still going to use what you offer. You are my image bearers. I want to use my people. He uses five loaves and two fish to feed the multitude. And he'll use whatever five loaves and fish you bring to renew the lives around you. This is the story of Ruth. God hears the pleas and the cries of Naomi. So he allows Ruth to come into her life. He brings later on another man called Boaz into her life. God uses his church. It's the community of God that God is going to use to renew your life. 
I remember in COVID, I was crying out in just personal pain. I don't think I'm the only one here who had a tough time in COVID, but leading a church, leading a business, leading any operation financially, relationally, spiritually was traumatic. And I got to some really low times and I was crying out to God for, Lord, God, encourage me. And Christians would say, I'm praying for you. But it wasn't until I reconnected with God's community in other ways that I felt the encouragement of God. I remember one day that it's just a thought popped in my head. I thought, oh God, I don't have anyone to talk to. I don't really want to talk to church folks. Everyone I talk to at Vintage is going to talk about masks, no mask politics, pol- you know, all that kind of stuff. I just can't do it anymore. Who do I talk to? And suddenly a little thought came into my mind. What about my friends from seminary? Seminary, if you don't know, is just like pastor school. And I, I emailed them all. They're all over the world now in different countries. And I said, look, do you guys want to get together on Zoom every couple of weeks just to, just to be honest and transparent and vulnerable and encourage each other? And we did. They said, we need it too. And so we began every two weeks to meet together, to hear each other, to encourage each other. We then said, you know what? This is so good. We need to kind of hang out together. We need to like meet up once a year for this because we felt new life, the new life of God flow through our veins because we met with God's community. And I said, oh man, where should we meet? You know, one of you, I mean, one's in Melbourne, Sydney. We have Vancouver, Canada, LA. We have New York and Edinburgh, Scotland. And I said, look, we just need to find a place that's convenient for most of us. And I looked at the map and went, I just think it's going to be hard. It's not the... It looks like the best place to meet is Hawaii. <laughs> Can we all make it? And so every year we meet the week after Easter. We all fly in. Because when we're crying out for God to refresh us and speak to us and minister to us and help us, we need to cry and rush to his community. Because he answers our prayers through his community. God will renew your life as you plug into his community, as you be family to one another. This is the desire. See, I thought community is always nice because we're lonely, just nice to have friends. But no, this is the significance of community. It's God's design for his kingdom to come. This is not, I'm lonely, therefore I need community. But if I'm not lonely, then I'm good. For the sake of the world, for the sake of, of those who don't know Jesus, for the sake of this city, we have to make ourselves available as his community, say, use us. Because you, in your infinite wisdom, have decided to only use your church. So we humbly make ourselves available. God's community is the means to restore and renew your life like it was for Naomi. The most important spiritual moments in my life have been God's intervention through others in my life. I walked away from the church when I was in my mid-20s for about three or four years 
I hated church. I'd grown up in church, but not only did I find it anti-intellectual, anti-scientific, but I got caught up in a church that was overbearing. I'd made mistakes, they made mistakes, but I thought I want nothing to do with the church. I found it toxic, toxic and hypocritical. Nothing like this church. And so I left, I went to London, I became a lawyer and just lived the life of London. But I could feel unplugged from Christian community. I could feel, even though I didn't want to admit it, I could feel my life started to shrivel away from the presence of God. After about three or four years, I finally responded to a friend of mine who kept saying, hey, come check out this church with me. Come back, just come. And I said, no, 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 mate, church is toxic. I'm never going back. And eventually he said, look, yeah, no, come on. There's some really hot girls at this church. And I went, you know, since you said that. But actually that was my excuse to justify what was really going on in my heart, which was I was shriveling up. And so I went back to church. And long story short, reconnected with God. But it was God intervened in my life through My good friend, Wes. My good friend, Dave. Both of them were used by God to be Ruth to Naomi. Even in the finances. Have you ever prayed for financial breakthrough? I have. I pray for financial breakthrough. And I remember once... Couldn't pay my bills. I was a student at the time. And I remember praying for financial breakthrough. And I went to church. This was before I gave up on church. I went to church. And I remember, I remember putting my wallet on the floor under my seat and like my bag and stuff. And I was praying for financial breakthrough. But I didn't know how it was going to come. I was literally thinking, God, are you just going to miraculously put a few zeros on my bank account balance? What does that, I mean, how is this going to happen? I have no job. I'm not going to get a bonus. I've got no tax rebate. I mean, these normal ways of, there's no income stream that's been dormant that suddenly, I'm a student. How on earth? And I remember at the end of the service, after the social time and the coffee, I thought, oh, I forgot my wallet. I went back to my seat, looked under, picked up my wallet, and it was significantly heavier than it had been before. Amen, Gary. Now, here's the thing. God did not miraculously put dollar bills in my wallet. God had provoked someone else in the room to come over and be his means of financial provision for me in my need. Do you know God answers your prayers through other people? Therefore, if, do you know, God is waiting for you to respond to his prompting to answer someone else's prayers. It's the significance of community. I remember being brokenhearted when a girlfriend broke up with me. Yeah. It was tragic, Gary. I know you're surprised, Gary. How on earth did she break up with me? I know. But it was, it was more common than you'd think. And, and I remember, I was 25 at the time. 
in my flat, in my apartment, and it was, I was grieving. And it was painful. I thought this was it. And out of the blue, she broke up. I was living by myself, crying out to God, God, what are you doing? Where are you? And for an hour, it was like one in the morning, the phone rang. When I mean the phone rang, it was like the old, you know, the old 1920s phones before cell phones, right? It was in the other room. I thought, who on earth is calling me? So I went in the room and I picked up the phone. I went, hello? And I heard his voice, Gare! I go, hello? Gare, it's Dave! Dave? Now, Dave had been like a, a pastor years ago in my life. I hadn't seen him in years. I went, is everything all right? He goes, is everything all right with you? I go, why? He said, mate, God just woke me up. And I can't get back to sleep. And all I have is Korge. Korge. So he just said, what is going on? And I went, she broke up with me, Dave. <laughs> he went, come on, come to my house. Cry baby, I did. I blubbered like a baby, Gary. He said, look, come on. And then I said, look, mate. He said, like, I'm going I'm to buy a ticket for you. Get on the train first thing in the morning. Come stay with us for a while. God woke up Dave to call me. Because God wants to use his people. God designed his kingdom to work through his people. So his people need to be available for God to use us. I remember once, my final story, then we'll land the plane. I was in church, visiting a church. Again, this is when I was single. This is when I was learning all about the significance of how God uses us. And I was about 27, went to church. And I knew this church. I'd kind of grown up in this church a bit, but it was a big church. I don't know, about 2,000 people on a Sunday morning. And I was just sitting in kind of the pews and it was during the worship time. And I had learned by now that God wants to use his people. And so I actually thought, you know what, God, is there anything you want to say to us or do in this room today? And worshiping, praying, listening, worshiping, praying, listening. I want to encourage you to do that. Worship, pray, listen. And then I felt all of a sudden my heart just start to beat. And I felt that God gave me like a verse of Paul and Silas worshiping in prison. Acts chapter 16. And the chains flew off and they were set free. And that's all it was. It wasn't some like the incredibly detailed word of knowledge. But I knew that this verse was something from God for someone in the room. So during worship, I, I kind of went out and went, went down the side and went to the, the leader, Paul, the pastor, and said, Paul, I think I, God's given me a verse for someone. Now he knew me enough to kind of go, okay. He literally interrupted the worship and said, Gez got a verse, a word for someone. So I, got to, I was really nervous, I got to say, and I, I, just, I just read out this verse and then 
sat down, went and sat down, and then Paul looked at the room, and it seemed like silence and crickets, and they just carried on in worship, and I just thought, oh no, how embarrassing. Was that just me? Anyway, about six months later, I went back to visit that church, to visit some friends, and I walked in, and we kind of had worship and at the end of the service I was walking out near the back of the room through the doors and this young woman like ran up to me and said stop I said um hi and she went hi you don't know me and I don't know you but I, I've been looking for you because you came about six months ago right and I've been looking for you ever since and I went really <laughs> I think she looked at me like then not quite like that she went, look, six months ago you came. I need to tell you the story. You came up on stage, right? And she said, look, a couple of weeks before that day, I'd just given my life to Jesus. And my parents had been coming, but I'd given my life to Jesus, but I was in a really dark place. And I couldn't actually worship. I was just, I, I, I was so locked in. And the Saturday night, when we got up for Sunday morning for breakfast, that Saturday night, I had a dream. And over breakfast, I said to my mum, Mum, I've had a dream. And it was this guy gets up today at church and says something, and it really helps me. And so the mum said, okay, well, let's go to church and see what happens. And he said, we were worshipping, and I wasn't worshipping. I like, was in a dark place. But I saw you get out of your seat and walk towards the front. And... I said to my mom, mom, that's the guy from my dream. And she said, when you got up there and just simply said, Paul and Silas were locked up in prison, but as they worshiped, the chains fell off. I felt these dark chains just fall off my back. And for the rest of the service, I was able to worship. And he said, you never guess what? I'm now the worship leader at this church. Amen. God uses his people to minister to his people. It's the significance of God's community. So I'm going to close now and just give you some things to pray about and some action steps to go, okay, Lord, we want to be that type of community. Here's the thing. All these stories are there to go, oh my word, I hope that happens to me, but we rarely are the, say, oh, Lord, I want to be the person who does that for someone else, right? I hear all these stories about someone like giving financially and meeting the needs and I go, oh, I wish someone gives to me, Right? I want to receive a phone call like that. I want to receive a prophetic word like that. But I want to challenge you this morning. Will you be the one that God uses to bring deliverance and restoring kingdom of God to other people around you? Will you be in a worship? Will you go to bed at night and say, Lord, Lord, if you have a dream, speak to me that I can encourage someone. Lord, I'm praying this morning. Can, can you just put on my mind a couple of people that I can pray for? Or maybe give me a little encouraging word that I can text them. 
I discipline myself to pray, Lord, whenever I pray for myself, Lord, what do you want to say to someone else? And I will just text them what I feel you're saying. Lord, my time, talent, and treasure is yours, which means I'm the means of you giving it to others. Is there someone in this, in our church that I can help? It's the significance of God's community. Naomi got to the end of her journey, praising God for his restoration, praising God. But it was because God had used Ruth and used Boaz to bring healing to her life. Now, as we close, there's one important thing to say at the end. I don't know about you, but I often feel more like Naomi than Ruth. That I need an intervention from Ruth before I can be Ruth to someone else. That I'm actually full of needs. How do I overflow to others? And this is where the book of Ruth not only captures Ruth, but it points to a different type of Ruth. That until we receive the divine Ruth, Jesus, his healing in our lives, his redemption, it's only out of that healing can we begin to flow to others around us. You see, just like Ruth, Jesus became an immigrant for us. Just like Ruth, he emptied himself for us. Just like Ruth, he risked his life for us. But unlike Ruth, he went one step further. Whereas Ruth said, nothing's going to separate us until we die. Jesus went one step further and he said, not even death is going to separate us. You see, when we receive the perfect Ruth and are healed on the inside, we then receive his power to be Ruth to others. This isn't do more. This is receive more. Let's stand together. Just love you to close your eyes. Our prayer, we're going to have our prayer ministry team come up and we're going to worship. But I just want now, just for each of you, just to spend time just with God. He's here. And just respond with what he's doing in your life, even now. It could be that you go, man, I, I feel like Naomi. I need you, God. And so, Jesus, we welcome you by your spirit. direct and indirectly to restore our lives to bind us up it's okay to be in a place of brokenness like Naomi and if that's where you are today Lord I pray that through your community you would bind up the brokenhearted. you would restore what is broken And Lord, for all of us, we pray that we may be filled with your spirit, that we may be used like Ruth to bring life to those around us. This is why we're here. The significance of being the image of God. And so even now, Lord, I pray you'd put people in our minds that you go, this is who I'm called to bless.
I'm called to pray for. I'm called to sacrifice for. Maybe you need to drop anchor in this community and go, this is the community I'm called to be a part of. But Lord, you call us all to be Ruth, to be a means of your grace to one another. We're going to worship now. Our prayer team will be down the front. Come forward for any prayer. And I just want to reassure you that God does miracles. And if you need a miracle, then come forward. And we'd love to pray for you. Let's worship.